Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 12th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast with Suspend Zero that can't be recast with Snapcaster Mage. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Glad to be here. Looking forward to a lot of lively discussion today, I am sure. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, break down the segments we've got for everybody today. James, this week we've got three segments. Our first segment is our top movers. These are the cards that have seen the largest price changes over the course of the last week, and there are a lot this week. Segment two will be cards to watch. These are our picks for cards that could make you money in the near future. Well, I shouldn't say near future, in the future. And this week's segment three, we are dedicating the entire second half of our show to discussing the modern banned and restricted list update. Uh, That'll be our topic of the week. There's a lot of content there. I'm sure a lot of people are really curious about where that's going to go. So we're going to make sure we give you guys plenty of time on that topic. So with that said, let's hop right in on segment one, the top movers. James, where are we starting this week? Well, we've got a ton of cards to cover. This is one of the busiest weeks of the season. Um, So I'm going to kick it off with Declaration in Stone, the Shadows over Innistrad rare that hasn't even officially hit the streets yet. Um, Started the week uh, around $3.50. I think pre-orders were as low as $2 at one point. And at this, uh, apparently testing has been going very well for this card. It's looking like a four of staple in multiple decks and standard. Um, and it's currently hovering around eight or nine dollars for 150% gain. Um, I mean, hard to realize those gains if you haven't actually uh, gotten any of these copies in your possession. But I suppose if you had them on pre-order and you get them in your hands soon enough, um, you may be able to get out for a profit. Yeah, I think the only people making money here are people who open them at the pre-order or uh, at the pre-release. Um, I mean, um, it's no surprise to see this card rise pretty significantly. This might be our next hero's downfall. This is a remarkably powerful removal spell. You know, it leaves behind the clue tokens, but if you're exiling two or three creatures, which is a, probably a stretch, but even two creatures, giving them a little bit of value might not end up mattering. So I'm not surprised to see this jump pretty heavily, especially with white looking pretty good coming into the new standard. Yeah, from what I've been hearing, the both the various versions of white human aggro decks, white blue, white green, um, and even white red, have been testing very well. And what people are realizing is that Declaration in Stone is a strong, strong tempo card um, because for two mana, you can sometimes remove, you know, clear two important creatures off the table. At the very least, you're getting a one for one. And yes, they're getting clue tokens, but if you're in a tempo based build that's trying to put your opponent on the back foot. Um, they have to make some really tough choices about whether they want to cash in those clues or keep developing their board to hold you off. Yep. Next up is uh, one of the big ones for the week. That is Ancestral Vision. Uh, that jumped from $20 to $40 this week for about 100% gain. That may, I mean, may surprise you to see Ancestral Vision this low on the top movers for the list, but it started out the week at $20. So, uh you know, it would have been really hard to see a several hundred percent gain on this card, but 
I mean, Ancestral Visions is now legal and modern for the first time since the format's inception. It is another one mana draw three. We see those these cards are just usually pushing the power level of the ceiling every time. Uh, Treasure Cruise was banned what a year ago this year uh, this month, uh, which was another one mana draw three. Uh, Ancestral Visions is going to change the shape, change the face of modern. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on, but uh, these copies have hit forty dollars. Uh, I expect they will give back a little bit of that in the near future, but I'm not anticipating these to drop below probably thirty. Um, the only and the only way I see them really take a hit is if we see them show up in Eternal Masters. Uh, other than that, this time next year, they might actually swing back up above 40. It's hard to say. We'll have to see how the format shakes out. I think some early results um, with Ancestral Vision showing up in multiple decks in the top eight of a major modern t- tournament where the decks are different decks and it's a four of in each case because Ancestral Vision is very rarely a card you play anything less than a f- than four of. Um the the function of the card is that it's one of the best things you can possibly do in the format on turn one and gets progressively worse as the game goes on unless you're uh, a deck that is very grindy or uh, control focused where you can you know drag out the game if you're playing a tempo or an aggro deck it's a terrible top deck in the mid game because you're trying to close out and it doesn't do anything for another three turns um, that being said, at a single blue mana, it slots in so many different places. I mean, you're going to see it in uh, blue-red Delver decks. You're going to see it in ver- uh, Grixis control shells. You're going to see it potentially, I'm working on a Jeskai Ascendancy build that that makes use of it. Well, what's interesting here is that normally Ancestral, uh, an unban like this is immediately followed by a Pro Tour. So we have all of these new decks show up, and that kind of teaches people what what to expect in the coming format and sort of gets everybody... Uh, moves a lot of prices again, but without any major pro tour, modern pro tours on the horizon, we don't really know. It's hard to say how much prices can be impacted in the near future because there's no major event for to, that will, that is going to roll out and say, okay, turns out ancestral visions is huge, or turns out nobody actually cares. Like we, I don't even know when the next modern GP is, and that alone might not. That's not going to be strong enough, I think, uh, or nearly as strong as a pro tour. Yeah, I mean, it's it, as long as we get some camera time. Um, if we get a weekend where there's a Star City Games event or a Grand Prix, and I've got to double check the calendar to see when the next uh, tournament of interest is. Um, but the you know we get some camera time and the card's doing well, um, and people who have never played with it before start to get a sense of just how powerful it is. Then I agree. I think this card will have slid towards thirty by then, but could easily retop somewhere around forty or fifty. There just aren't that many copies around, and though the card has been reprinted since Time Spiral, um, it was only reprinted in uh, Dual Deck and uh, Jace versus Chandra, um, which was several years ago, and the Dual Decks Anthology. And in both cases, it was a single copy. Um, a lot of those will have been absorbed through attrition into collections and boxes that are lying under beds and in closets and so forth. They're not sitting around in decks. It's going to take a long time for them to trickle back into the market. Um, and uh, one of the, the tips I have for people that are looking to pick pick these up is that if your local game store had some of those uh, Japanese Jace versus Chandra that everybody seemed to be stocking for a while that never seemed to sell lying around, you might want to double check and see if they've repriced them. Um, I was able to pick up a bunch of copies here in Toronto for $50 each. And between uh, Ancestral Vision and Days and several other, you know, five to $10 cards in those sets, they have, you know, 80 to $100 in value in them right now. So it might be a good way to get your set together. 
Yeah, the prices on this uh, are going to be kind of all over the place. And just so that you, we, we are both aware, the next modern Grand Prix uh, is May, the weekend of May twentieth, and that is a, it's actually two. There's Charlotte and Los Angeles that weekend. So mid May is what we're looking at our next modern Grand Prix. Uh, the Star City Columbus Invitational, which includes modern, is April fifteenth. That's only. Uh, a little over a week away, um, but that won't be quite the stage that the the dual GP weekend will be. Yeah, there's a at, at SEG Baltimore Open, which is standard, and there is a, also a modern classic. So I'm sure we'll be reviewing that in our metagame review uh, next week. Oh, that's true. That's true. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, next up is Tezzeret, Agent of Bolus. Uh, this is from Mirrodin Besieged. Started the week at 15, now 40 for about 160% gain. Tezzeret shows up here because of its perceived utility with the Thopter Foundry, Sword of the Meek combo. Uh, Sword of the Meek being the card that was just unbanned. Tezzeret fits into those colors. He does a lot of work with artifacts and can turn a small squadron of Thopter tokens into a game-ending burn spell to the face or, uh, or just turn one Thopter token into a 5-5. So he has a lot of synergy with those cards and the types of things those cards are trying to do. People have been a fan of Tezzeret for a long time. Um, so this is kind of an excuse to to drag him out of their the binders and, and put him to work. Again, $40, probably not sustainable. I'd be happy to ship my copies for that price. Uh, but again, without results, we're going to see this drop probably down into the 25 range, but uh, he's not going to be $15 anymore. No, I mean, I and the thing with Tezzeret is that he was already a reasonable uh, tier two deck in Legacy, um, and the version in Modern is not very much different um, now that they've got uh, Sword of the Meek back. Um, there are several different ways to build this, and Tezzeret is a unique four of linchpin in the deck, um, and he hasn't seen a reprinting. So, um, unless we see him show up in Eternal Masters, which is a possibility, um, uh, this summer, I think that you know he can hold thirty to forty, no problem. Um, and I don't think you need to be in a rush to unload these because I expect that barring a reprint, um, you know, this is a, a fairly stable price plateau. Do you think forty dollars is sustainable? Yeah, I think. I mean, given that this card was printed six or seven years ago, um, and it's a four of, and uh, I think that uh, the deck needs to top eight modern sometime soon. Um, to demonstrate that this combo is real. Um, and if it does, then yes, he can hold that. If if it never shows up anywhere in three or four major modern tournaments down the road, sort of the make Thopter Foundry just isn't top aiding, um, then I think all the cards involved start to slide. Mm. All right. Well, you know, I'll give it a 30. I'll give it a $30. I'm a little less excited about it than you are, but our listeners can have a, a spectrum on which to appreciate Tezzeret. Uh Okay. Next up on our... Oh, you know what? Well, I'll do this one. Next up on our list is Unvald Hydra. This is the mythic uh, Hydra from Shadows Over Innistrad. Started the week at $3 and change and is now pushing double digits right around $10 for about 180% pickup this week. Um, there's a lot of uh, several pieces here. Uh, the first is that people are thinking he can play well with Westvale Abbey and Standard. Um, there are various token builds out there, humans or green tokens. Uh, that Ulenvald Hydra can act as a top end and go fetch your Westville Abbey, which will then turn into the uh, Orbenthal or whatever the heck that demon's name is. Um, 
it might also show up in ramp. It might be the, the bridge spell that you need that gets you from your small ball creatures to your Ulamogs. And we may even see this show up in, uh, in modern, maybe. I don't know. That seems like it might be a stretch. But uh, what do you think, James? Yeah, there's been some talk that in amulet decks, um, having an extra primeval titan style effect um, maybe worthwhile as a one or a two of um, primeval titan being able to grab a land is is pretty key in that deck and having you know an extra copy or two of that um, could be pretty important um, what i love about this card though is that it, it demonstrates yet again that no matter how uh, much time we've spent in mgg finance or how much time we've spent as magic players we continue to underestimate cards um, you know, as Jace being the prime example in the last year, but this is, you know, a card that most people had dismissed as bulk. If you go through everybody's set reviews, this was dismissed as a big, dumb, green bulk creature, uh, a poor man's uh, primeval titan. But yet, lo and behold, once they started testing with Westville Abbey and realized how good it was and the fact that there was a bunch of, you know, green-based scion and token producers that could ramp up, um, you know, the fact that this guy can go grab Abby um, suddenly becomes uh, an important uh, dynamic in the metagame, uh, at least in theory. And here we have a mythic going from $3 to $10 overnight. Yeah, and this these standard prices are so volatile too, is it's $10 now. By the time Sabatos of Innistrad is actually street legal, it could be 6 Two weeks after that, it could be 3 And then two weeks after that, it could be 10 again. So, the, you know, <laughs> these are all over the place. Standard is... Uh, is wild when it comes to this type of thing. Well, I mean, all the shadows of over Innistrad pricing is based on theory and rumor and testing at this point. We need to see how uh, SCG Open Baltimore plays out um, to really see what's going on. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right, it's your turn. What's next? So uh, here's another mythic that some people were wise enough to stock away. Um, from last summer, Archangel of Ties out of Origins just could not find a home in the standard meta up until this point. But word on the street is that always watching decks are testing out well, um, you know, blue-white uh, mid-range control-ish decks that um, get to swing uh, with Ojitai, Dragon Lord Ojitai without ever exposing him uh, to kill spells, um, make use of Reflector Mage and or Avacyn um, alongside Archangel of Ties, um, Tithe has abilities when attacking and blocking, but usually you have to make a choice. Um, when you have always watching down, um, you get to have both ends of the ability, and the card gets really, really good. Um, still, you know, bears proving in the arena uh, of big tournament scene, but uh, and I'm not sure that this can hold, uh, you know, a price um, towards twenty dollars um, unless the deck is uh, extremely prevalent in the meta. Um, but I could see it holding over 10 now um, as we move towards its rotation, at which point I expect it to fall back to four or five. So um, if you're holding but not playing, uh, this is a great exit point. Matt, the way you started out that intro to Archangel of Tithes makes me think you have several stocked away, James. Um, I don't, actually. Um, I only have foreign copies that I opened in some of my foreign origins boxes. Um, it, it just never seemed to me, it seemed very risky to me, um, to get on board with this card, but, you know, kudos to those who thought otherwise and are now reaping the rewards. I actually had to double back and look through our show notes while you were talking. Cause I thought I had recommended this back. I remember looking at this card at five bucks and going, huh. And I thought I'd recommended it here. I guess not. I don't own any, so I didn't make any money off of it, but oh, well, listen to your hunches. <laughs> 
the next card on our list is actually the compatriot card that we were just referring to, Always Watching. Um, yet another Shadows Over Innistrad card that was underestimated at first glance. This is the Crusade effect uh, for your non-token creatures for one and two white that basically gives plus one plus one to your non-token members of the team, um, as well as Vigilance. And it's that Vigilance clause in, in keeping with Archangel of Ties uh, and Ojatai um, and say... Uh, uh, Ojitai's Orator and, and Reflector Mage that allows your team to get in for damage and still sit back on defense. Um, and we'll see if that proves out in standard shortly. The card went from a dollar to four dollars, uh, up 300%. Um, but I, I'm not convinced it can hold that number. Yeah, it, it definitely not. Or, I mean, you know, four dollars is probably going to be roughly this card's ceiling. Uh, people who played during the original Innistrad will remember that Intangible Virtue was a pretty important card back with Lingering Souls, uh, that, that played definitely a, a key role in a handful of decks. I don't remember at this point if those to- if those decks were Tier 1, but they were definitely Tier 2. And and these uh, these Gaia's Anthem Crusade effects are always reasonably popular, but I would expect that if there's an Always Watching deck, that Always Watching will not be the expensive card. It will be a few bucks, and some of the other role players will be the... Uh, the most expensive cards in the deck, like an Archangel of Tides. Um, and that Vigilance especially is is kind of all over the place. Uh, sometimes Vigilance is extremely good, as we're seeing with the cards like Ojutai and Arch- Archangel of Tides, where you really get extra value out of the Vigilance, and other times it's nearly irrelevant. So uh, this could also be rather swingy based on what the format looks like. It may be excellent right now and awful in six months. The interesting thing about that deck is almost no matter how you go with the the high end uh, of your curve, whether it's Archangel uh, of Ties or uh, Avacyn or Dragonlord Ojutai, um, whichever of those three ends up being the using the most copies in that deck, um, you're facing a whole bunch of expensive mythics mm-hmm. <laughs> at the top end of your curve. Yep, exactly. All right, next up is my type of card, which is why I want to talk about it. This is Time Sea from Alar Reborn. Uh, started out the week at about $3, currently sitting at about 12 for a 300% increase. Uh, Time Sieve is a two-mana artifact. It's blue and black, and it is an artifact that says tap, sacrifice five artifacts, uh, may or may not include Time Sieve, take an extra turn after this one. So tap, sack five artifacts, take a turn. Now, those of you who are thinking, hey, you know what makes a lot of artifacts really easy? Sort of a meek? Well, you figured it out. You make five thopter. T- if you have five untapped mana, you make five tokens. You tap time sieve. You take an extra turn. Bam! You get infinite turns for the rest of the game. So, time sieve, sword of the meek, and thopter foundry are basically an infinite combo if you have five mana available. Um, time sieve has shown up here and there in modern. Never really good, but people are always trying to get it to work because you can take an extra turn without having to get rid of time sieve. Uh, there used to be a build that used this with. Um, Faith's Reward and some of those other type cards to go infinite as well. Uh, I, I do kind of like, you know, I don't like this card at $12, but I definitely think there is a possibility that we actually see Time Steve start showing up in Modern. What's interesting is that if you look at other cards that work very well with uh, Thopter Foundry and Sword of the Meek, like Muddle the Mixture or uh, Tezzeret the Seeker, is that they allow you to tutor for artifacts. So you can run one to two copies of Time Sieve in your deck, and then if you put the Thopter Foundry combo together, uh, this allows you to shut the door really quickly. 
by uh, by going infinite. So, you know, maybe it's a little win more. I'm not exactly sure, but I do think that we could see a time sieve deck show up. And if we do, uh, you know, this card's probably going to dwindle down from the $12 it is today over the coming days and weeks. But if a time sieve deck shows up, this card will be 20 to $30. Yeah, I mean, it, it's never been reprinted. It's highly unlikely to see a reprint. Um, and the reality is that it, it's not going to be in something like EMA. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, Eternal Masters is not going to reprint this card um, because there's no way they had the foresight to see all of that coming. Um, and it's such a terrible limited card that it's just not going to be there. Um, and with Sword of the Meek and Thopter Foundry, you have all the pieces of the puzzle. You you did touch on a another key point, uh, which is that Muddle the Mixture has essentially been bought out. Um, you know, this is a fairly useless common that's hanging around in bulk boxes up until just now. Um, there's tons of these from Ravnica Block. Um, I'm sure that in the Super Collection, I probably have 100 copies I need to go dig out now because um, the card has spiked from $1 to $3 basically overnight. There's like six copies left on TCG. Um, and just like you said, it's it's the ability for it to go tutor and, and get Popper Foundry or Sword of the Meek or Time Sieve that makes Muddle suddenly relevant. Yeah, I was going to have Muddle the Mixture be my pick of the week this week. Uh, and I actually think I wrote about it in my article that went live today. And between like writing about it yesterday and today, TCG player was just drained. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we also have Sword of the Meek itself, the the unbanned combo piece that has been referenced multiple other times and drove the price up of multiple cards this week, moving from $5 to $20. Um, you know, we've said all we need to say about this. I, I think it can hold this price um, until it gets reprinted somewhere, um, which it, it, it doesn't slot in easily anywhere. Um, so uh, it could, I think it can easily hold 20 um, If the deck starts doing well, it could even go higher. Yeah, completely agree. I think $20 is a totally reasonable price for this card. I mean, well, reasonable, I should say, uh, it is reasonable to expect that this card will hang out at that price. The funny thing is, I think this is actually an uncommon from Future Sight, um, which it is to show that Future Sight has to, has to carry the title as the most productive um, magic set of all time for the MTG Finance crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, you probably won't miss if you just go buy every uncommon and rare in future sight. Eventually you'll hit all of them. <laughs> so next on our list, we have squandered resources from visions. Um, this, uh, the premise here is that this reserved list card is likely to be a staple in the Gitrog monster EDH, EDH decks that are, are predicted to uh, have some impact on the metagame. Um, a lot of people are, uh, excited about the various combos that are associated with the Gitrog monster and uh, that creature's ability um, as your general to do all sorts of shenanigans with land-based stuff. Squandered Resources is an enchantment from Visions that uh, started the week at 75 cents. Now it's sitting at around $5.50 for 600% plus increase. Um, and what it lets you do is sack a land to get a mana. Um, so because Gitrock Monster is letting you play extra lands per turn and then tap them and then sack them and then get extra mana from squandered resources, you can do a whole bunch of other shenanigans um, that abuse all of those pieces. Um, and again, it's a reserve list card. Um, so it was a relatively easy and obvious buyout once people uh, identified the synergy and away we go. Yeah, uh, I remember reading a, I, I was looking at Jason Alt's article uh, I was previewing it a day before it went live and uh, I saw him talk about squandered resources and I pulled up TCG player 
And what, you know, started looking at the copies and I stopped myself. I'm like, ah, I feel a little guilty buying these cards since I'm reading Jason's article ahead of time. Uh, and I didn't buy any. And then the day after his article came out, they were gone because he had spoken very highly of this card. Again, like you said, reserve list, EDH, whatever. Um, so, so a lot of money to be made there initially. I don't like this card going forward. I think the Gitrog decks are people, a lot of people are going to build them right now and then realize they're not particularly fun or interesting. Um, as much as as interesting as that is to me, is to me, I recognize it's probably not that fun of a deck. So I think we're going to see this kind of uh, kind of slip back down into the two to three dollar range, uh, unless it somehow becomes playable. I don't know in Legacy. Yeah, I just I'm not wild about the long term health of this card. I would be selling any copies you have. Yeah, if you can trade out at five dollars here, I, I doubt you're going to regret it. Keep the one you need for your your Git Rog deck and move on. Yeah. Yeah, our last card of the week is Thopter Foundry, which uh, again has been referenced throughout the rest of the cast. This is an uh, Alara Reborn rare. Um, it also showed up in uh, the Aloro Commander 2013 deck as a reprint. Um, so if you've got any of those lying around, might be time to crack them. Um, plenty of value in the Commander 2013 products these days. Um, this card started the week at uh, 50 cents, moved up to $10, almost a 1,900% gain. And again, this is because of its combo with Sword of the Meek. How many do you have hanging around at home, James? I only had three foils, and I have a bunch of the Commander product, um, which has now, as I checked the Commander prices the other day, um, cracking a case that was acquired in and around 80 or 90 US at the lows for that product. Um, is looking very profitable. There's at least $150 worth of value in those cases now. Only three foils. God, go. <laughs> I turned half of my apartment upside down and did not find a single copy of this stupid card. <laughs> you know, the worst part of this, the worst part of this is that in past articles, I've said Sword of the Meek is likely to become unbanned. You should all think about this. And I knew damn well that we were going to see this. And did I buy Thopter Foundries at 50 cents, even though I thought that any of it was going to be unbanned? No. Why? Because I'm an idiot. Uh, well, I mean, in, in all fairness, and, and to you um, and anybody else who missed the train, these are not easy to predict because it, I would never, though I think that uh, Sword is a reasonable unbanning um, and can find an interesting home in modern and makes that metagame uh, that much more uh, complex and satisfactory from a brewer's perspective. It's not like it was a priority unban. It, like We were talking about this before we started the cast, that it the whole sort of the meek Thopter Foundry uh, combo doesn't really fill a hole that was in the metagame. It really just feels like um, you know, an attempt to shake up the format. But I'll, I will digress on that point for now, and we'll return to it later. Okay. All right, let's jump into segment two, our cards to watch. These are the cards James and I have our eyes on as being profitable targets for you guys. Uh, James, you've got one more than I do this week, so I will let you get started. Yeah, so if you weren't playing, you know, 10 years ago-ish, um, you probably don't remember that Blue Black Fairies is an extremely powerful deck when it has access to Ancestral Vision. Um, it's not 100% clear that that deck is going to make a comeback now that Vision is printed, uh, is unbanned, but it's certainly a possibility. Um, and Secluded Glen, um, one of the uh, four of rare land includes in that deck uh, has been sitting at five dollars for ages there isn't a tremendously deep inventory online if the deck makes the top eight anytime in the next few months you can uh, definitely expect it to go from five to ten dollars overnight 
Um, and I started stocking uh, away copies earlier this week and picked up uh, 10 or 12. I'll probably go deeper if I can find others under $6. Um, I have a, a reasonable amount of confidence that fairies will make a comeback one day. Um, and my second pick is related, so I'll throw it in uh, on the same plate. Uh, Bitter Blossom has been languishing around 25. Um, if Fairies makes a comeback, then Bitter Blossom is playable again, and it easily tops 35 in a hurry since it's really only been reprinted once in Modern Masters uh, 2015, and uh, there aren't that many copies of that Mythic around considering it's a four of in that deck if it gets played. I really like uh, Secluded Glen. I actually wrote about it in my article this week as a great target uh, because it's dropped so low. And uh, I, yeah, anyone who remembers fairies knows that that is definitely like the first go-to blue-black land for this deck. Um, if you've never had the pleasure of playing against fairies, I assure you it is entirely miserable uh, and people will try and play it. And in fact, Sam Black had an old list. I, I dug up an old list that Sam Black talked about in extended and out of 75 cards only three were not legal in modern um so there is definitely a lot of basis for that deck to show up again so anything fairy related is pretty interesting right now uh yeah agreed uh, on that front you know this next card my first pick is not necessarily a fairy's card but you could definitely see it there uh that is spell snare uh specifically you know probably the modern master's copy but whichever uh, I've got this as a mid to long card with a confidence level of seven. Prices today are around $7. I could see that doubling to about 15 bucks uh, for a little over, probably a little over double up on this one. There are a lot of two drops in modern. I mean, there's always been a lot of two drops in modern, but now you've got Tarmogoyf, you've got Snapcaster, you've got Thopter and Sword that are now going to be showing up. Uh, plus, it's going to hit several of the cards in Fairies, and Fairies will want to run it to counter everything else. Uh, you also have things like Stony Silence, which Stopter Foundry decks would want to counter. It just seems, you know, in the past I have not been wild about Spell Snare, but it almost feels like we've got a clustering effect at two lately. Uh, and given that this card used to be close to $15 to begin with, and there's a lot of extra utility out there, a lot of other extra targets out there for this card these days, I am definitely a fan of picking these up, at least in trade. Yeah, I mean, your target on this was 15. I think that might be a little optimistic given that its you know peak was somewhere in the 10 to $12 range. It needs to see a lot of play to regain the ground that it lost when it was reprinted. Um, but I agree with your metagame analysis um, from the perspective that it's it's going to be in high demand. Um, there's also Grixis control shells that get turned on by having access to Ancestral Vision um, and become that much better. Um, and they'll certainly want to run it. Um, you know, it's it's a great counterspell. Um, if it was rare, I would feel better about its prospects as an uncommon, um, you know, only printed, reprinted once since its first printing over a decade ago. Um, you know, it's definitely got to show up in multiple tier one decks to hit that $15 price point, um, but it's possible. Well, I'll take it. I certainly think that it is a more certain pick than my next one, um, <laughs> which is uh, Jeskai Ascendancy um, on the basis that it will uh, at some point get fully busted uh, wide open in modern. Um, every set that comes out now is adding new pieces of the puzzle and giving brewers new avenues of approach. And I find it very hard to believe that this extremely uh, powerful um, and dynamic uh, rare from Concertark here is not going to one day top eight uh, or win uh, a modern major event. Um, the ability to cycle through your deck to make uh, excellent use of cantrips 
Um, the fact that it interacts very well with some of the new madness cards that are now on the table um, and the uh, combination of both young pyromancer and monastery mentor, and even potentially chasm skulker um, with the card uh, to act as your finisher. There's also the versions that use the green card from oath to turn a land into a four, four, give it haste, untap it and tap it a bunch of times, cast a bunch of things and then attack for the win. There's all sorts of different angles already on the table and nobody's really solved the puzzle yet to the point where it's, it's come to the forefront um, it's all obviously a, a fairly technical uh, deck style, no matter how you build it. Um, and it, it's going to take a while. But keep in mind, this card is 50 cents right now. The foils are $3. If this ever top eights a tournament, it goes to $10 overnight. And you're going to get excellent, excellent returns. So this is exactly the kind of card that the long-term speculator in me wants to stash away, you know, 100 non-foils and 20 foils or so, and then just wait for the day that Sam Black shows up and busts a modern tournament wide open. Yeah, I mean, the first Pro Tour uh, after Cons, the first modern Pro Tour after Cons was legal. Just Guy Ascendancy did show up. Channel Fireball brought it. They were the ones who kind of pioneered the uh, Fate Stitcher attack. Uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't give them credit for pioneering Fate Stitcher, but at least the first ones to put it on a real stage. I mean, I completely agree. This card is is extremely busted, very powerful, and it's just a matter of time until um, people either figure out what the decklist is in modern, or until uh, they print the right enabler. And it feels like we're getting closer every set. The only reason I don't already own a million of these cop a million copies of this card is because uh, it was printed in Cons of Tarkir, and that kind of scares me off a little bit, um, just because of the volume out there. But I do agree that there is profits to be made on this in the future so I, I definitely agree that the power level's there one of the things that put it on my list for this week is that um the deck you're referring to was was excellent because it had access to treasure cruise mm -hmm. um once treasure cruise was banned uh the deck slid down a tier um and just couldn't compete um, and there's also other combos that are quicker and more reliable. I mean, the Malira series of combos alongside Court of Calling, Splinter Twin before it got banned, etc. Um, just were, were more reliable um, combo uh, configurations. But uh, Ancestral Vision coming back on the scene makes me think, well, you know, it's still fantastic on turn one as it always is uh, in an Ascendancy deck. And later, when it would be a terrible top deck, um, you know, you're able to just make it the card that you discard to Ascendancy. Um, which works out just fine um, and is in, is a better top deck in an ascendancy deck than it would be in many other scenarios. So, you know, that that's what's piquing my interest and I'm certainly going to start stashing copies away now. All right, so here is my Just Guy Ascendancy deck. You add in black for Gorio's Vengeance and then you can either Gorio's Vengeance, Gitrog Monster and turn all the lands you loot into additional draws or <laughs> you can Gorio's Vengeance back Gristlebrand so that if you start to fizzle in the middle of your combo, you just draw seven and keep going. So I figure the way to make this three card, this three color card get better is add a fourth color. Yeah, if you figure, if you get that list together on Mana Stack or something, send it, send it my way because um, there is no ascendancy list too janky for me to try right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there is any Just Guy ascendancy list that isn't janky. Um, all right, my last pick for this week, uh, you know, I've got a lower confidence level on. It's only a five, and it's a long-term pick. Well, I guess really short to long. I have no idea, but it's Crark Clan Ironworks. Uh, currently hanging around $4. I think we could see prices on this of at least um, 12 maybe 15 possibly even more. Crark Clan Ironworks is a four-mana artifact. It's an uncommon from Fifth Dawn. 
Then it has, uh, it's a pretty simple card. It says, sack an artifact, add two mana to your mana pool. We have seen this in the past in fringe eggs decks. Uh, you might have seen them written down as KCI eggs. And what it, the, the eggs list uh, sacrifice all of their eggs to generate a ton of mana because you're getting two mana per artifact. You cast Faith's Reward to return all the artifacts to play. You use one of those artifacts to return the uh, Faith's Reward to your hand, and then you sack the rest to make a bunch of mana. You're drawing cards in the process. So it's a very slow egg stack. What this card does now is that it goes infinite with Thopter and Sword. So Thopter and Sword is already a combo, uh, but you have to pay mana to do it, so you can't just go off immediately. But if you resolve a Cart Clan Ironworks, you can then sacrifice the Thopter to make two mana, one of those sacks the other token. One of those sacks the token. One of those sacks the sword, which brings two more tokens into play, uh, or it brings a token into play. You sack that for two mana. You can just keep going. Um, so it generates infinite life for you uh, with with KCI in play. Um, so having that as a uh, as an option is very powerful uh, for those stopper decks as a way to just shut the door on the game against a lot of opponents. Uh, looking at TC, is it is it a fringe deck? Uh, yes. Do I think that it is necessarily going to be tier one? No, not at all. I think it's an interesting way for the deck to go. I think of it very similar to Time Sieve. Um, you look at TCG player right now, there's like less than 10 playsets out there. So it's not going to take much at all for this card to just be gone from the internet, which is mostly why I like it right now, is the supply is so low that someone's just going to blink and this thing is going to double in price. Well, and it, it hasn't seen a reprint. Um, and you know, up until say middle of 2013, it was about a dollar. Um, so it's already jumped from a dollar to $4 over the last couple of years, but yes, um, the conditions are right for this to make a major leap. If the deck uh, that is commonly referred to as rogue, um, you know, shows up in the top eight somewhere. Um, and that deck, you know, isn't that fringe. I mean, it, it tends to top eight something online every other week or so, um, and it's the kind of techie deck like an Ascendancy deck that, you know, not everybody's just going to pick up and run with. Um, but again, camera time is it's all that's between Ironworks and, and a future price plateau. I can see that. And it, it's worth pointing out real quick that KCI, uh, Plan Ironworks, is um, the type of deck that you will not see on Moto very much because executing the combo is not a, uh, a rope process like it is with Splinter Twin it requires you to think about it every single iteration and it involves tons and tons of triggers. So it's really just not a deck you can reasonably play on Moto, which means that it could actually be much better than we realize, but nobody on Moto is really grinding the games to find the right list or to get people aware that it's out there. This could be a sleeper deck. True. So my uh, last pick of the week um, is a card that's actually cost me a bunch of money. I think it's actually cost me more money than any other spec this year. Um, and I'm talking about Eye of Ugin, uh, the Expedition version, which is a, a gorgeous card to look at physically. Um, and uh, when before everybody knew that we were in the midst of Eldrazi Winter, before Eldrazi had even won uh, a major tournament, um, you know, when this card was revealed in uh, the early days uh, of Oath, um, uh, I you know, put it on my list as soon as it showed up on Puka Trade and managed to wrangle two or three copies out of people at around $280 worth of points. Um, this card is now worth $70. There are some copies on TCG as low as $67.50. Um, and it's important to remember, folks, that uh, though Eldrazi Winter is done and, and 
and dead and buried in modern. Uh, in legacy, Eldrazi decks are just getting rolling. Um, and I have to imagine that uh, as a three of or a four of in, in those decks, um, the Eye of Ugin Expedition version is going to be, you know, the preferred version. And even though Legacy is in decline uh, as a format uh, on the whole, um, I could easily see this this card a year or two down the road regaining ground and going from seventy to one hundred and fifty dollars just on you know continued Legacy demand. There really aren't that many copies of any of the Oath Expeditions uh, lying around. You're talking about maybe a hundred copies online right now. Um, some more. Uh, we'll probably hit the scene and drive the price down towards 60 before we, we find the price floor, um, at which point I would be looking to move in um, not only to uh, dollar cost average on the atrociously expensive copies I've already acquired, um, but because I, I believe from my experiences in Legacy thus far that Eldrazi is a real deal. Well, I will tell you that I am not sad to see Eldrazi go for modern and I should probably hurry up and pick up one of these expeditions because I would like to own one or two. Uh, I guess I, I'm not quite as excited about its ability to move prices in Legacy as you are, but hey, that's okay. I guess there aren't many copies out there. That is very true. Well, and I just think that if, you, if you're picking up copies for your Legacy Eldrazi deck, you're going to pick up three or four. And with the prices, you know, as low as they are now, that's a pretty cheap expedition. Um, you know, it's cheaper than a normal copy of Horizon Canopy. So, and and these are gorgeous. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's very true. On the topic of uh, what to sell this week, uh, let me just say this, um, without giving you, you know, a tremendous amount of detail on specific picks, the Shadows over Innistrad price uh, points are just ridiculous right now. We have uh, 10 or 11 cards in the set, including multiple rares that are selling for over $10. This is not a sustainable position for a large set, um, especially one that's going to be opened as widely as uh, Shadows over Innistrad. So if you check the list of SOI cards that are, say, over you know $4 for rares and over $10 for mythics, um, ask yourself, is this really a card that's going to be a four of uh, in multiple decks and if the answer is no um, and you have copies from the pre-release or copies you've acquired early um, get out while the getting is good um, because cards like thing in the ice currently at 13 dollars and westville abbey at 17 are not going to hold those price points um, no matter how good they end up being in modern um, at least not in the short term um, you're going to get an opportunity to get in on most of these cards at peak supply in two or three weeks and that's when i would be starting to make decisions about what the long-term holds are yeah, and I will tell you the same. I'll say here the same thing I've said in other venues as well is that you should always sell into the hype, on, especially in a pre release season like this, because as long as you, if you sell everything into the hype, nine out of 10 cards you will have sold while they were at their absolute ceiling in price. They will never be as expensive as they are today. And if there's, if you sell a card and it ends up being more expensive than it is today, that's okay. Because instead of trying to predict that card, you just sold everything and you're further ahead than you would be if you were trying to figure out what that 10th card is. So it's just much safer to just sell everything that's out of control right now. And don't feel bad if you miss one of them. Bang on. All right. Last segment of the week, segment three, our topic of the week. It is time to talk about modern and these unbans. Uh, I mean, the largest shakeup this format has really seen since it started. It, I, I can't really wrap my head around the fact that not only did they ban unban both of these cards, they not only did they unban both of these cards, they did them at the same time, and the timing of it is really interesting as well. It's hard to know where to go from here, James. Uh, what are you thinking? 
Yeah, I, I think the first point to make is that anything we say about this is purely speculation. I think that unless you've been testing 20 or 30 hours this week um, with a fresh gauntlet of decks um, that take into consideration all the options that the uh, removal of Eldrazi from the format only a few months after we lost Splinter Twin, um, but with the addition of the Sword Thopter uh, combo and with the addition of Ancestral Vision, um, I, I find it hard to believe that anybody's really got their finger on the pulse. Um, but it's important to understand that probably what happens here is is that mid-range decks that are attrition-based like Jund and uh, uh, Abzan get worse. Um, I think Jund and Junk probably um, are going to have trouble with things, uh, the ability of token-based decks to put a lot of bodies on the table and go wide. Um, and that leads me to believe that the combo decks like Malira Pod um, and uh, potentially Scapeshift um, and some of the other, you know, the decks that can basically ignore cards like Ancestral Vision that are going to pay off later um, or slow moving combos like uh, Thopter Foundry plus Sword of the Meek and just kind of go off on turn six or seven and finish you are probably going to be where most people want to be at. Um, so I can see, I still think that our earlier calls on Court of Calling and uh, Collected Company are likely to pay off uh, well. Um, I think we're definitely going to see, you know, Ancestral Vision show up in four or five different shells. And that's why I think that card can hold its price. Um, but I have a, a kind of a bigger top down uh, perspective that I want to lay on people. And we've alluded to this in the past. Um, I didn't believe for a second that when Splinter Twin got banned, that that decision was a, because Splinter Twin had to leave the format because it was too dominant. Um, it very much felt like Wizards, at least partially, was clearing the way for their shiny new Eldrazi cards to make some kind of an impact just to shake up the format. And and people say, well, why would they do that? Well, it's pretty obvious why they would do that kind of thing. They do that so they can sell cards. Um, it's important to understand that the reason Wizards doesn't want to support uh, in a major way, formats like Legacy and Vintage is because those formats don't really sell cards. Once uh, a metagame has stabilized um, and people have decks that they they like that aren't changing very often, um, you know, people aren't don't need to buy cards as much. If you keep a format in flux, as they have done deliberately by shortening the the the, the amount of time um, by twenty five percent, that standard cards are legal. Um, and by reprinting cards and th- products like uh, Eternal Masters and Modern Masters, um, you can. And by banning and unbanning things, not because they need to be added to fill a, a gap, but because it keeps the format fresh and interesting. Um, you know that sells cards. And and I think we're going to continue to see strategic bannings and unbannings as modern uh, keeps rolling along that are going to keep things fresh. And I think it is good for the health of the game to keep things fresh. But I think it's important for people to understand that uh, when uh, they have the opportunity um, to make these kind of moves, you can pretty much be certain they're going to. um, And they're going to do that to keep you buying. Yeah, there's a lot to say here. The first is that I agree with you. The Wizards is demonstrating an interest in changing their marketing strategies so that instead of selling some cards to lots of people, they're selling a lot of cards to some people. Expeditions were uh, a major indicator of that. And this certainly seems like we're going to go in that direction. I'm reminded of a Tom Lapillier comment that I read. I think I saw it posted on Reddit. I have no idea where it's from originally. But he talked about these eternal formats having a 
um, a limited amount, a finite amount of essentially innovation within them. And that eventually you would explore the card pool and the decks within that card pool thoroughly, completely, and then you would have your set tier list and that would be it. And anyone who's played uh, fighting games pre-internet updates knows exactly what I'm talking about, is once those characters were put in the game and shipped out the door, uh, once you figured out the best characters, that was it. Um, you couldn't fix it, and the best people were the best fighters were the best fighters. And if you think of an eternal format and magic and lock it in place with no new sets being added, you are essentially going to get to the same place. You'll have minor variations between sideboards on week to week in a metagame, but you will know what the best deck in that format is. Now with magic, we're talking tossing in an extra set every you know every few months, so you get some minor ripples here and there, and occasionally you'll get a really big card like Treasure Cruise that might upset the format or uh, or Eldrazi, but uh, those are few and far between. Um, which all leads to modern essentially reaching a fairly stale point where people can own one deck and sit on it for a long time. So that's where these unbans come in, is that this keeps the format churning. This is going to make sure that the format, because it can't uh, organically change dramatically, Wizards is going to do it on their own. Now, you can say that this is good or bad. I'm inclined to say that I like this. Uh, I think it's more interesting for the players. Uh, the average player is probably going to be annoyed that it's going to cost them money. Um, it's great for people who are like us and listen to this type of content and engage with us because we're going to see it as a chance to profit. But that's definitely uh, the direction I think they're moving is, is trying to churn the format with these unbans. Yeah, exactly. And it, it underscores that a card like Ancestral Vision um, or Sword of the Beak that had found a floor for a long period of time, um, but uh, is not widely believed to be unplayable uh, uh, or unaddable to the, the modern metagame um, is probably a card you should stock up on. I mean, take a look at, at what's banned and figure out what can come off that list. It probably will one day. And, and you will probably, you know, you're probably only going to have to sit on it for two or three years to get to that point. So, you know, take a look at that list, folks, and figure out what's what's next down the road. Um, when they continue to shake things up. I also think it means that Affinity is probably on the chopping block within the next year. I think it will will probably lose Mox Opal. Um, and I think the logic there will be very similar. It'll simply be, we're going to piss off a bunch of Affinity players, but for every Affinity player that we piss off, it's kind of like when we pissed off the Splinter Twin players. For every one of those players we piss off, we maybe bring two or three players back into the fold who though they weren't actually being pushed out of the, the meta by Splinter Twin or by Affinity, they may have arrived at the conclusion through analysis of online metadata um, or through you know uh, anecdotal evidence at their local metagame that those decks were kind of the auto wins and they didn't want to play them and so they backed out of the format. And anytime they have a situation where the math adds up like that, like piss off one guy to please three more, they're going to do it and they're going to do it over and over again. Yeah. One of the other things that plays into this theory is that um, they announced this week, and it was it was largely overlooked in, in the social media sphere, as far as I could see, that they were going to remove the ability to watch other people's games after they were played on Magic Online. And it's an interesting decision, and people need to understand why it happened. It has nothing to do with whether or not they want you to see those games. It has everything to do with the data mining that's been going on by various websites that it analyzes the metagame online and allows people to um, gain access to statistics that give them a, a strong 
um, numerical indicator of which cards they should be playing. And all of this is about keeping formats in flux. They don't want a format to stabilize because when a format stabilizes, people either opt out of it because they get bored or they stop buying cards or both. And that's not the situation they want to be in. Yeah, I remember not uh, too long ago, somebody posted on Twitter that Wizards had contacted them and asked them to stop posting articles of standard metagame comparisons where they crunched the data on tons of standard matches to find the best deck in standard uh, because they did not like what it was doing for players. I have to tell you, I'm rather uncomfortable with Wizards strategy here being denying information uh you know i can't tell you that that won't lead to a better magic but i I, it makes me uneasy that that's the strategy yeah it's it's very it's very strange because in the sports world that would never happen i mean in baseball and, and football and basketball people love their stats so much um that's a major part of the content delivery vehicles you know Sports Illustrated or, or ESPN are, not, are, are going to have a lot less traffic if you can't analyze stats on what's happening in the, in, in the game. The difference here being that instead of being armchair quarterbacks, almost every, every player has a role to play um, as both a consumer of the entertainment and, and generator of the entertainment. So it, it's definitely a different and a more unique situation. Um, but I still think that you know, most of the people that are attracted to this game tend to be you know, uh, data-focused uh, to begin with, that tends to uh, appeal to analytical minds. And it is a little bit of a weird stance to take to say, we don't want you to have the information <laughs> that would help inform you as to what you should be playing in this meta. Yeah. Uh, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot a little here. I want to talk about Sword and Thopter really quick. You know, for a long time, I was of the opinion that Sword would come off the ban list and then it was safe. And... Uh, I didn't really have a lot of reason to question that, but when I started writing my article for this week and I and I was kind of looking at the pieces and thinking about how they work, I, I'm a lot less comfortable stating that Sword is safe than I was uh, two weeks ago. You have two two mana artifacts, one which is entirely colorless, one which has fairly uh, light-ish mana requirements. You know, you have to make blue mana and then one of two other colors, which is not too much of a stretch. And it's just, it's going to be so good in so many decks. Like, it's going to be like, well, if you can run Thopter Foundry, you have to think of a good reason not to. Uh, Because what it's going to do is it's just going to make life miserable for anyone who isn't also running it. And uh, even people with answers might be, if they don't have the answer in hand at the right time, they could still lose to it. You know, you imagine a Thopter deck against an Affinity, or a... um, a mid-range like a Jun deck or something of that nature, a Grixis deck. Um, Sam Black tweeted earlier this week that Dr. Sword is a lot safer now because of cards like um, Colgon's Command and Abrupt Decay, which didn't exist before, which is fair. But the thing is, is that if you're the Thopter player uh, and you have six mana and uh, you know a Th- uh, Sword of the Meek in play, it want- if you cast Thopter Foundry, if your opponent doesn't have the removal in hand right there, you are already at running running away with that game. Think about how good Lingering Souls is. That's four tokens for four mana, and that card is unreal against mid-range decks. So if you can activate Sword four times, you're already 
uh, right in that ballpark. And if you get to do it anymore, you just shut the door completely. It's like casting lingering souls over and over and over again, which uh, which would be backbreaking for most of those decks. And it's also a really good way to get you out of the range of a lot of aggro decks. It blocks for days and gains you tons of life. And not only does it block, it blocks in the air. So even if there's lots of answers to Thopter in the format, and if those answers are main deck answers, you're still going to be in a position uh, reminiscent of, of, of Umazawa's Jite, uh, which is the best counter to Thopter Sword is Thopter Sword. And you're going, I think we might see it start to invade modern. And the only people who won't be running it are people who are just trying to combo straight through it and don't care, uh, which is quite possible. Um, but I think we're re- we might really see Sword um, sort of infest the format and warp it pretty severely because, you know, at this point, you're going to be hard pressed not to have a reason to run that. And what that's going to do to the market is it's going to really um, not only put a ton of pressure on, on Thopter and Sword themselves, but on both support cards and hate cards. So you'll see Stony Silence get much better because suddenly uh, you're going to have artifacts in almost every single deck. And the value of that card is just going to, the play value of that card is going to increase dramatically. Yeah, and I mean, the, the possibility of Jund needing to run four Abrupt Decay, four Coligan's Command, um, Grixis Control running the full complement of anti-artifact provisions. Um, I mean, there's there's so many different places this, this combo can fit. Um, one of the interesting things about it is that you can have a very artifact-focused deck uh, vis-a-vis Tezzeret um, and Time Seethe. You can have a tokens-based deck. I'm, I'm working on a deck that has four Ancestral Vision, uh, four Inquisition of Kozilek, four Path to Exile, four Bitter Blossom. So that sword of the meek pretty much always has something to to get placed on top of. So running the foundry and the sword, um, and then lingering souls and monastery mentor um, and Soren solemn visitor at the top end, with Oriok champions to come out of the sideboard and almost play a soul sisters kind of game, um, you know, and that's completely untested jank. Um, who knows what the pros are up to? Um, one of the interesting counterpoints, I guess, to you know concerns over this combo is that uh, I have to assume wizards put some amount of testing in. Um, to to feel comfortable uh putting this uh back on the table the last thing they want after eldrazi winter is to put their foot in their mouth again um, and have three or four of these show up at the next major modern event in the top eight um most of the pros that have written about it this week seem to think it's totally reasonable and fair um, that there are enough uh kind of incidental hate cards in the format that it's not likely to get out of control um, you know, there's also the possibility that you see anti-token cards like Illness in the Ranks, um, Pyroclasm, uh, make a bigger splash on the scene, either main or in sideboards, um, if there's a lot of decks trying to go wide. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to me that Westvale Abbey slots so well in with this yeah. alongside the decks that are trying to go wide. And that's part of the reason that that, that card uh, is a rare on pre-order right now for almost $20 um, is on the assumption that it's going to find some kind of a home in, in modern alongside the go wide decks. Um, you know, it, it's definitely a dangerous combo. Uh, let's see how it plays out. Is my well, attitude. Well, you know, it's not, it's not Eldrazi, right? Like it's not like it's one deck that just crushes all comers and you're either playing a various type of Eldrazi deck or you're not really playing modern. It's not It's not that blatant. It's much more like Splinter Twin, where it's a little tricky to tell if it's dominating the format or not. But more importantly is, um, you know, it's, it doesn't crush games. It's just a question of, is my deck better with or without this combo? And the answer overwhelmingly, I think, is going to be, it is better with this combo. So it's not that you have one deck. It's that you have lots of decks with the same piece. It'd be like if Stoneforge Mystic was legal. 
you'd have to have a really good reason not to add it to your deck if you made white mana. And if you didn't make white mana, you'd have to have a really good reason not to go out of your way to do that. I think that's what's going to happen with Sword, and that it's not going to just like dominate the format with one deck, but every half the people in the room are going to be playing it. And it's one of those things where, yeah, there's a lot of main deck answers, so it doesn't like completely crush the room, but it's one of those things where if your opponent doesn't have the answer in their hand when you cast it, you probably just run away with the game. Um, and even if they draw it a turn later, it might be too late. So the cost of running it will be fairly low for what could be what, what can just take over a game as soon as you resolve both pieces. Um, that's what I see the issue with being, I don't know, maybe I'll be wrong. I mean, you know, the pros know more about this kind of thing than I do, but you know, the first level is to look at this and go, well, I don't think a Thopter Sword deck will take over the combo or take over the format. And it's like, okay, well, what about a, a Thopter Sword package? Will that take over the format? I don't know, but I do wonder. Yeah, I mean, in Reed Duke's article on Channel Fireball this week, he argued that, um, you know, kind of slow, grindy combos like Sword of the Meek and Thopter Foundry just make the combo decks that much better. Um, so he, he was prophesizing that we might see, you know, a resurgence in Storm. Uh, you might see, um, uh, you know, the Malira uh, Court of Calling uh, collected company style decks um, are still very good in the face of that kind of thing because they can, you know, get infinite life while you're fooling around making a bunch of a bunch of Thopter tokens. Um, one of the other uh, interesting side notes is that Wasteland Strangler is on my radar again now uh-huh. um, because if, if there is an Eldrazi deck um, post the banning of Ayavugan, and and people seem to think that it's at least worth testing. Um, uh, Wasteland Strangler could potentially be very, very good in a meta where you have Ancestral Vision that's been suspended, and it comes down as a 3-2 for 3 that kills a creature and denies your opponent 3 cards. I mean, <laughs> that is better than Flame Tongue Kavu. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And you still have Eldrazi Temple legal. So you can start a deck with 4 Wasteland Strangler, 4 Thought Not Seer, 4 Eldrazi Temple. And you're already in pretty reasonable shape there. And, you know, whatever the rest of the deck looks like, well, who cares? You're crushing the uh, crushing the Ancestral Visions players and still getting the Thought Not Seer people. And you get to play four Soul Lands. And, uh, you know, you can even stick Eldrazi Displacer in there. And you could trigger Wasteland Strangler multiple times if they suspend uh, Vision again. And you can uh, Displacer... Thought not seer until your opponent has nothing but lands left in hand. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't think Eldrazi is the menace that it used to be, but it's really easy to see how Temple and two or three Eldrazi pieces is still a lot of power that interacts very favorably with the rest of the format. Uh, if you can find a way to make that do situated very well against Thopters as well, uh, I think you've got a real deck on your hands. Potentially. All right, I think that's a wrap for this week, Travis. Where can people find you online? Uh, well, I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, uh, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Wednesday at mtgprice.com, and I appear on the sometimes weekly webcast cartel aristocrats. Uh, how about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. Uh, great. I had a lot of fun chatting with you this week, a lot of interesting discussion, and I am excited to see where modern goes. Uh, so am I, Travis. We'll uh, check in after we've played a few games down the road, and uh, we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.